that work there for you? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, as much as, you know, a, a visual of, of you magnified on my screen is going to work for me. Wow, that's an unnecessarily harsh place to start. Sorry, dude. <laughs> a little testy this morning. It's early. Oh, it is. It is. Where are you? Dalat. We're in like kind of a, uh, I don't know. It's like an elevated region of, of um, Vietnam. It's like about, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's an hour plane ride out of Ho Chi Minh. So it's kind of like Melbourne to Adelaide, but it's higher in elevation. So it's actually a lot colder here. Oh. It's been nice. Been a nice change. Mm. Um, wearing a cap. Oh, it yeah. says Colorado. Yeah, I'm a hat mm. guy now. Are you a hat guy? Yeah, well, I've become a hat guy recently. Is a lot of changes you're have happened. No, it was actually because. Okay, so if you really want to get into it, it's because I haven't showered yet. Um, oh, which might, which might be a. Fir- I know it might be a first. I've, I mean, I've been up for hours, but. Oh. I've been wearing this hat because we've got a big day ahead. Okay. So I had to squeeze in the pod. As you know, I'm six hours behind you. Yeah. Uh, I have to do a pod. I have to go to the gym after. So I thought if I'm going to the gym after, a best shower after the gym. Makes sense. Yeah. And got, you know, so it just means that I've got bad hair. You want to see this? You oh, see oh, oh, fuck. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Michael, put that back on, please. Exactly. Please. Exactly. So I... I did that it, for you. Is it fixed? It's. I put it back on. I put the hat back on. Okay. Sorry. You need to give a guy some warning when you do that. But, but Nick, my point is that sometimes you don't know what's best for you. Yeah. I've learned a lesson here today. Man. Just trust me. Don't Just question me. Michael's Colorado hat choices, even if it does seem slightly too big. Just a little bit now too that- big. Look, I am a bit self-conscious about it. I I just decided <laughs> on a whim. You're a bit self-conscious about your 10 a.m. wearing a baseball cap while recording a podcast energy. No, I I've just never been a hat guy, and famously, uh, famously, Big head. Big I uh, no, Huge I have a small head. head. I have a small head, so no hats work for me because whenever I put on a hat, I look like a Make a Wish kid because <laughs> I've. Because it just, it just, even the small hats just hang a little bit too large on the side. Okay. And then I found this hat. We were in an op shop in Delart. Yeah. And I found this hat and it just seemed to fit really well, even though you said it's a bit too big. But I thought, I thought it looked good. Okay. I have a theory that's coming together now that no hat fits any people because all the people I know have problems with hats. My friend, Adam, Mm. huge head gigantic head more is 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 past five head he's into the six and sevens it's big absurd and cannot find a hat or a helmet or anything to save himself sean our friend sean his 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 handle his online personality is dr ears he has some Mm. hat related issues right Mm. here you are on the other end of the spectrum too small Mm. for hats who are they making hats for is there anyone that this no. suits? Because I don't. I when I put on a hat, I'm going to be honest. I don't feel like it's it's perfect for me either. W- what are we doing here? It's a it's a real identity shift. It's kind of like not wearing glasses your whole life, and then you all of a sudden wearing glasses. You have to get used to it. It's like a big. It's a big yeah. change. I mean, I, I I can see you um, 
personality-wise suiting a baseball cap. I think this this works for you conceptually, like on paper. My point is, I just don't feel like no. hats fit anyone. Who 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 can walk into a store, pick up a hat off the shelf, you know, at, at the hat store, put it on, and be like, perfect, I'm a size M, and here's my M-sized head, and it all works. I don't think they've got this right. No, I think now that you say it, it might be right. This is a real roundabout evisceration of a style choice that I've made today, by the way. It's just like, no, it's not just you. It's everyone has a problem wearing hats. Well, so because then I you end up in territory kind of- where you have the the adjustable width, right? Like you're either, you're like that cloth strip that slides got- through like a watch buckle, or you've got the very 90s, like little plastic clip through you know, yeah, you know what yeah, I'm yeah. talking about. None of those people aren't looking hat. for that sort of aesthetic these days. But I feel like they've just given up on trying to make them fit. Then, <sighs> yeah, I mean, well, the best the best hat ever worn was by Daniel Day Lewis in "There'll Be Blood." That is the greatest <laughs> hat I've ever seen on a man okay. or a woman. But I, you know, it's just the best. I only have one counter argument. Have you seen those hats where you can put two cans of beer in and there's a straw that you can drink on it and the the beer's in your head? Yep, I have seen those. Why? I just think that we've got a contender here for best hat of all time that you've glossed <laughs> over in your yeah, adoration no, functional, for There Will Be Blood. <laughs> a functional hat is better than a broad brim, you know, 1910s hat, I guess. mm well, Nick, uh, this is this is uh, this is pretty. Uh, uh, what's the word? Fortuitous? I don't know. But there's my point is there's been a lot of changes. Yeah. You know, in uh, you know now I'm a hat guy. Uh-huh. Now we've established I'm a hat guy. Yeah. Um. Now I'm an engaged. I'm an engaged guy, as we we discussed a few yeah. weeks ago. Getting a little bit but tired this of hearing is, this. Um, but yep. This. <laughs> this might be the biggest change. Okay. Uh. And I don't. It's gonna sound weird coming out of my mouth, but I'm also a bar soap guy now. Yeah, bar soap. I've moved from shower. Uh, what is it called? Shower gel to um, body wash to to bar soap. And I take take some time. Take some time to process that. I sure did. This is. Not the way I expected to find out that the podcast was ending. Well, okay. Took it worse than I thought. A bar soap guy. Yeah. I don't know that I can deal with so many changes in your life all at once. Well, I mean, since day one, do you remember when we met uh, or where we met the very first time? Um,. It was at the no. Academy, the Academy Cinema, on that orientation oh, yeah. day for uh, Wallace. And do you remember the first thing you said to me? No. You said, "Hi, I'm Michael, and I love pumping a body wash." And that was the first thing you said to me. And from that first moment, I've always thought of you as a body wash kind of guy. And in fact, it's sort of one of the core tenets of I think our friendship is understanding that in you as in me is this innate appreciation for the flexibility the fun the frivolity of a hand lathered body wash experience Mm. and 
to be honest, I'm a little bit hurt that you're just going to spring this kind of immense change on me without even forewarning that you were thinking of trying something new. I mean, Jesus, does all these years of friendship mean nothing? Yeah. Um, I didn't. I didn't realize that was the first thing I said to you. That's a yeah. strange You said you walked say. up to me with your hands in your pockets and you said, I'm a Johnson and Johnson boy, baby. <laughs> and your first thought was, okay. Yeah. I thought, okay. Here, this is someone, a shower gel guy. Here's someone right. I can start a podcast with. <laughs> <laughs> well, bar, bar soap. Okay. So let me explain a little bit. Um, Bar soap, I've always been opposed to. We had bar soap growing up. I don't know about you, but we yep. all used, our family all used a bar soap. And they were the first, that was my first encountering of pubes. And they weren't mine, and they weren't my brother's, <laughs> and they weren't my sister's. Why is that any be better? <laughs> Why would you prefer a sibling pube to a parent pube? I don't know, but... Um, <laughs> But I remember the first time because you know there's hair on you know there's hair on it. Uh, growing up when we, when I was using the soap, there's you know there's, there's some hair on the on the soap. That's just what you do. But then it when I hit puberty, I realized what kind of hair it was. Yeah. And then I was like, oh my god. And then since then, I've been disgusted by it. Mm-hmm. But now because we've been on the road for so long, you know, I uh, I I have sensitive skin. Okay, I'm just gonna say it. I have sensitive skin. And not all soaps agree with me. Yeah, and I can I very can drying. get I can get a little bit very dry, very even peeling. You know, mm. little little eczema, eczema yeah. adjacent. I would yeah. describe it. Um, and so exergase. And so I picked up this bar soap because you know it's easy to carry. It comes with a little holder. It's a soap-free soap, so it's made with goat's milk. Beautiful, beautiful What's stuff. What's it taste like? <laughs> Well, I haven't, uh, Lauren hasn't had to use it on me yet because I've been on my best behavior. <laughs> but this stuff, it, it's like, uh, it's like washing yourself with, uh, God's cum, you know, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a ball of God's jizz and you're just rubbing it all over. <laughs> and my, my skin's never been better. I can wow. take it on the road. It just, it's kind of compact, put it in my toiletries. And you know, I've only got one other person using it, and she's relatively clean. Oh, good. Um, and there's been no pubes on the soap, you know. I, so I think I'm converted. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. So you said that. you had a fairly packed day. Should we? <laughs> <laughs> no good. <laughs> Just wondering if we should maybe get this. You know what? Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to Deep Ford, everybody. <laughs> this is a podcast that really defies explanation. But, you know, <laughs> just, despite our best efforts, it's still here 10 years on. Sitting through the internet with me, my friend Michael. Hello. How are we doing? Hello and apologies. <laughs> and I am Nick. Lovely to be here. Lovely to be back with you. Good to see you. Looking clean-ish. Looking, looking swole. How's the how's the life treating you? Oh boy, uh, life is good. Life is very good. Um, 
what can I say about this? Uh, we're just losing socks out, you know, left, right, and center. Nick, you know, we're going to the, getting our laundry done at laundromats, uh, mum and pop stores, and I have lost about uh, seventeen individual <laughs> socks in the last two months. So I've had to buy some new ones. It's all good. Um, you know, you don't complain. It's a tough. It's a tough thing because you're negotiating with a. Um, you know, with a, with a language barrier, yeah. Often you're going into kind of, you know, the, the laundromat down the road. Laundromat. It's just kind of a a cafe. Cafe. This is I'm doing inverted commas yeah, here with helps. my hands yeah. for the listeners. Um, and it's just like a kind of an old lady and an old man, and like you know, fairly blasé. So you you give your you give your laundry over, knowing that you might get seventy five percent of it back, <laughs> and that's a that's a win. Uh huh. So there aren't laundromats that you can do yourself. You're, you're, it's it's like a let's leave this in someone else's care. No, not not where we are. We're we're in a um a kind of a, a it's kind of like a almost like a big village. That might be a bit too strong, but it's sure. kind of it's a very small, small and suburban sort of yeah. Yes, and uh, kind of tradition. It's also quite modern as well. I don't want to don't want to say that it's 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 got kind of like a interesting youth culture i would i would highly recommend if anyone ever comes to vietnam go to delat because it's it's a very cool place where mm. we're here for another two days we're leaving tomorrow to go to like some uh farm we're doing like a little farm stay for two nights nice and then we are off to another beachside place in in vietnam but yeah like la, 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 life is good um uh what are, oh I, I, this is a this is a bit of a peeve, okay. bit of a myth, oh. right off the bat. But like, but you know, we don't need to do the jingle. Well, I have anything, one but... myth as well. So if we're both okay. miffing, you know, let, let's just sort of start up front. Michael's Michael's So we've taken a lot of planes lately, and and there's a certain etiquette on planes, as I'm sure you're conscious of mm-hmm. every time you fly. Mm-hmm. But I just I cannot get over this when people stand up, right? So the the planes landed, and you're waiting to you're waiting to to disembark the plane, and people immediately get up. So that's you know what whatever that's fine i judge you you know if you immediately get up as soon as the plane has stopped i judge you like pre, you know, are we talking pre ding we're talking pre seatbelt pre ding okay pre ding pre ding people just immediately stand up mm-hmm. okay fine but we've had this a few times where where you know we're in row 12 and it's our turn to kind of you know, people are kind of getting off the plane, so the the line's moving off the plane gradually, and we we're trying to get our bags from the overhead compartment, and people are just people from row thirteen back are just pushing forward, not giving you a break. So where do you where do you stand on this? What's the what's the when etiquette? you say pushing the forward? Is... Are you saying cutting past you, or are you saying like keeping the flow of traffic moving such that you can't get your bag out? What I'm saying is. 
the etiquette is if you whoever's in front of you, even if you're standing up, whoever's in front of you on the plane, you let the other person stand up, grab their overhead Correct. luggage, yeah, front, and then front leave. It, 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 you file out from the front row, all of the front row, then all of the second row, then all of the third row, all of the exactly. fourth row. It's not whoever's in the in the corridor, in the aisle, gets to clear all the way through from road 30, and then your second wave comes in from the side. No, it's front first. Exactly. So obvious. But this is this is just behavior that I just, I just find deeply unacceptable. People, it's so funny, because I think, I can't remember which comedian has that bit, but it's like, people are so... You know, when, when you're waiting in the, in the, at the gate to get on the plane, people are just like, can't wait to get on the plane. They want to be first in line to get on the plane. Then they want to be first in line to get off the plane. It's just like constantly, constantly trying to be the first to get on and get off. Yeah. And in, in Asia, like in Japan, it's a completely different story. And I'll even throw Korea in there where there's like this etiquette where people are very aware of their, their personal space or their yeah. personal how they are imposing on other people. They'll move to one side on an escalator, for example. Yeah. But not to paint with a broad brush here, but the Chinese and the Vietnamese are different. They do not have that yeah. at all. It's just, you know, you take a little bit, you know, when you're in a foreign country, you're like, okay, I'm a guest here wherever I am. Yeah. But at a certain point, when you've, when you've taken as many plants as we have in the last, you know, six months, it's just like, come on. It's interesting because I read somewhere recently that even in Western um, countries, there's a bit of a uh, shake-up to this policy happening in sort of the Zoomer generation and younger. Like young people coming up, they will get up and they will walk all the way to the front of the plane, regardless of which row they were at. And just be what? like, yeah, just like, well, I'm going to get up and like, if no one else cares, why are we standing around? I'm just going to walk all the way to the front, which is pure like chaos energy. And, you know, questioning chaos. the the you know the long established rhythms that we've just discussed but yeah they're just like well fuck it like why can't i go up to the front if i want to get off first you know why can't i just walk forward well they don't want to that, that, that's that's not a long-term plan for the zoomers you know they're they're making a band name for the whole generation <laughs> where do you where do you stand on uh airport uh the airport airplane seat reclining well you shouldn't stand on the seat nice uh, I think that reclining is totally valid, but I oh, think okay. reclining is, is built into the, as a function of the seat. And if you want to recline, recline, I think really, this is one of those class warfare things where mm. they're trying to get you to turn on your fellow citizen when really the attention should be on the airlines themselves who have crunched up seats so close to each other to fit more people onto these carriers that there's no longer the expectation that you have any leg room at all. And so there's this like sort of, oh, how dare you like even inclined like fucking 12 degrees to make your piece of shit seat even slightly comfortable Uh, when really they should just like have a leg room of 100 centimeters instead of like 75 so that everyone feels like they still have a bit of space and can incline without inconveniencing the people behind them. Fuck the patriarchy, overthrow capitalism, you know, let's ruin... (laughs) The plane triarchy. Um, but they, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point. Like we are, they, they're, they're turning us, they're, they're making us turn on each other when we should be revolting against them. I agree. Yeah. But 
I, I think, th- I mean, this is like classic, you know, news.com.au shit that flares up every three months. <laughs> yeah. You're like, where do you s- give a thumbs up if you think you can recline on a, you know, a love heart if you, you think yeah. it's yeah. poor form. But yeah. like, um, I do think there is like, especially if there's a tall, per- if you were behind me and I wanted to recline, first of all, I would, I'm not the type to recline. I would never recline. I'm too, uh, I'm too much of a nice guy, I guess. Um, don't say anything. Um, but I think I would, I would maybe ask if it's okay. If I were, oh, no, if I was never desperate. ask, never ask. Because if you ask, you open yourself up to having to follow, to agree with a no, if they say no, if you want to recline, just recline. And that's, that's life. You know, sometimes we are the reclinee and sometimes we are the recliner. Mm. I think if, if there was someone reclining in front of me, I mean, I wouldn't say anything. I certainly wouldn't like kick up a fuss that would be filmed and put on social media. No. But I would, if I was with Lauren, I'd be like, oh, seeing this, disgusting. Yeah. That's again, why the aisle seat is superior because a recline doesn't affect you if you can stick your legs out into the aisle. Do you ever do you ever pay for an extra road? Is that something you cage, think about when you fly? A cage, a cage, a cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I yeah. Um, until recently uh, had gold class on Air New Zealand, which was Ooh. due to my work travel points having accrued, and just when they were about to expire, like I I left work and like uh, like white bait work when I was traveling lots for shooting things all over the country. I left that job in like 2017 and had just managed to like hold on by the skin of my teeth to enough points to that class for the years subsequent. And then it was about to expire and I was hundreds of points off. I was like, you know, this is fucked. I'm losing all these privileges. And then COVID hit and and New Zealand was like, okay, we're pausing all of the status things. We're going to extend it. So I I snuck like another good two years of that out of it, which was chef's kiss. Can you do a chef's kiss without the hands? Because it just felt like I kissed... Just, just air kissed then, but um, yeah, that's okay. You can air kiss. Well, thank. We've said it before, but thank God for COVID. Thank God for COVID. Um, but unfortunately, place. that has now expired, and as a result of that, I no longer get to pick the good seats at the front of the plane. And so, when I was looking at it, I was like, oh well, I guess my best option is actually an es- uh, what do you call it? an escape row. An exit row. Mm. Um, so I and have started escape row is a yeah, bit more <laughs> dramatic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah the the uh, the danger level feels a little bit more intense in the escape row. Um, it does feel it. It is a it is a strange thing that you know, especially if you are in the exit row. I know they do like the the safety instructions on every flight for every person, but you're not really required necessarily to I listen. Mean, yeah. But like, if it's a real problem, I mean, I don't think there's any hope in them actually being of use. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 what that's what I think all the time. Whenever I'm in an exit row, they're like, "Can you pay attention to this?" Because you are in a, you have to do something if shit goes down. I'm like, I am, I'm half drunk. Like, I am not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You still have three gin and tonics. Like, it's not gonna (laughs) not gonna be. Like you're kept there on, you know, sorry, um, we don't supply alcohol to the exit row because if there's an emergency, you know, we need you on your no. best wits. It's like, no, nah, fucking, you, you know, strap drink. up, put your um, blanket over your legs, like fall asleep with your eye mask on and, and, you know, completely hammered. And yeah, just be ready to help in an emergency. Yeah. I mean, that that is bizarre to me. Like they, they basically run through a, a possible scenario of 
you know, catastrophe to you. And everyone's just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, man. You know, I'm just kind of listening to my podcast. Do you ever tangent again? But do you ever have this thought that like often, you know, I'll be like listening to music or listening to a podcast, and I think if I'm listening, if something terrible happens to me, if just I'm walking down the street and I get hit by a car and I don't die instantly, and I'm listening to one of my stupid ass podcasts <laughs> that are just about farts and dicks, and I'm just dying on the street while my my headphones are just playing Tuesdays with stories. I mean, I'll kill my. I mean, I, I think that about like, what about the song? What about this? What if I'm listening to a song? You know, if I was listening to like, I'm Reckoner, a lot of, sorry, background. Yeah. What so, is that? that is, this is classic Vietnam. There are people just going down the streets on motorbikes and just on foot. And sometimes they'll have like one of those squeaky toys and they'll just mean beep, 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 like a rubber ducky. Uh-huh. And basically what they're doing is saying, I've got this type of product. Does anyone want to buy it? So they're kind of hawking. Oh. They're going down the street and sometimes they'll be selling I've fruit. I've got I've got fruit. I've got, yeah. Yeah, the, the, a lot of them have, like, gear parts for, like, motorbikes. Like, who wants to come get your gear parts? Like, yeah. that's what they're doing. So wow. we hear this, you know, all day long. So sorry about that. That's all right. But, yeah, back to what I was saying is that, like, if I was listening, if I was walking down the street listening to Reckoner, I get hit by a bus. That's a pretty good song to go out to. Yeah. But if I'm listening to, and this, you know, is probably more likely. more likely to happen in the festive season, my own Christmas song that I've been <laughs> rendering out. I I mean, that is the worst. I'm just listening to a draft version of my Christmas song so I can hear the levels and I die to it. Yeah. And people like pick up their earbuds and they're like, like they've just put their two fingers over your eyes to like, um, as you've... <laughs> <laughs> collapse on the side of the road just like you know close your eyes respectfully and then there's this little tinny sort of and they pick up the uh, the earpod and listen to yeah. your own voice <laughs> singing your christmas song yeah. it's gonna be what, what, uh, what kind of good samaritan is just minutes after i die putting in the earbud that i was listening to like i just want to get a sense but also just like picking picking up my phone and then just like is that him yeah. You know, seeing that, seeing yeah. the artwork on on the yeah. phone. I don't know. Yeah, holding up the I face hope I ID. Di- yeah, I hope I die to something like dramatic and something I can like really, you know, race up to heaven with. <laughs> yeah, but not stairway to heaven. Obviously, too cliche. Not stairway. No, too cliche. Um, well, you sort of teed me up for my own myth, um, which is also a transport related um, courtesy one, and it's it's a very simple. A trans... Mm, not sure about that. Okay. <laughs> we, oh, good. We, um, it's a classic. It may have come up on the podcast before. I can't remember. But, God, it, it, this is this is a mega myth for me. I'm, I'm experiencing this more, and I, and I think I'm developing road rage as a result. Mm. There is nothing more irritating to me when you are at a traffic light, at an intersection waiting for a right turn arrow to go green and the car in front of you is not paying attention and the arrow goes green and they don't start fucking moving. So by the time it's ready for you to go around the corner, it's already turned orange and you have to stop again. Oh, nothing more infuriating. So, okay. This is a bit of a mainstream myth. I'll say that, but, um, uh, but I mean, we can all relate to it. 
what do you do in that scenario? Do you do a little light tap on the horn? I, I'm, I've become a horn person. I don't, I don't mm. horn in, a in horn like, dog. I'm a bit of a horn dog. I, I don't use it very frequently, but I, I will deploy the tactical, hey, get off your fucking phone, horn beep, yeah. to try and get people to turn the corner. But here's my thing. My, my belief system, and this is how I treat every single light, regardless of whether I'm turning or progressing straight through the intersection. I am watching the cross lights in the opposite direction the 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 perpendicular lights and i'm watching them waiting for them to go green to orange to red Mm. and by the time they're going red on the cross i am accelerating to go green because one second later that light is going and i'm awake i'm ready to go i'm moving forward and yeah to be honest if you have not started moving within half a second of the light going green you are an arsehole and you deserve to be killed you deserve to be killed. I totally agree with this. You want an idle role. An yeah, idle. When, when's just we're not we're not breaking laws. We're not scooting ahead. We you know just, into just traffic let, or anything. Just to let you know that I'm paying attention. But you're I'm ready to go. Ready. You are ready, ready. to go. Because sitting around for two seconds when the light is green. I'm sorry. Get off the road. Yes. No. This that is despicable i hate yeah the 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 things that irk me the most in life are when people aren't paying attention and they aren't spatially aware of themselves you know in terms of in terms of if they if they like cut you off in the supermarket and they're like oh yeah i'm looking at the, the the bananas whatever like just at least at least know that i am there and move to one side yeah you know in terms of like driving a car the thing that that miffs me the most is when you're trying when you're when there's a when there's like a, a side you're trying to turn down a side street yeah you're trying to indicate you're in the left lane you're trying to indicate and then there's traffic stopped mm-hmm. at a light and mm-hmm. people don't leave that break mm-hmm. for you to go in mm-hmm. and then and then you and then there's that thing where you 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 obviously give them a death stare yeah, and they you can you can feel that they can sense that you're what you're staring yeah. at them, yeah. but then they're they're, they're just trying to yeah they're going please just fucking turn green so I can yeah. get this guy to stop staring at me. And, and but the, they deserve the corollary that. of that is when you are on the main road trying to turn into a side road, and the traffic is stopped, and all that needs to happen is the car in front of you needs to move like. 30 centimeters forward so that you can go An left inch. to the slip yeah. lane and get around past them and into the side corner. And it's not like they've left. It's not like it would stop, you know, turning traffic from getting in. You just need to be aware that there's a car behind you clearly at a 45 degree angle that just needs like 10 more centimeters and you will be able yeah. to all get on with your lives, but they're just oblivious. Yeah. And I, I think, I think the reason why it gets me so angry is that I view it as selfish, and I, I I wonder if it is. I wonder if it's selfish, or it's just it's it's probably just obliviousness. But it's oblivious. I just yeah. I I don't know how people get through to like 40, 50 years of life, and they just don't think about it. I just yeah. don't understand that. I yeah. learned that when I was you know ten. Yeah, be aware of where people get are beaten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I seriously do think that, but like, it was instilled in me from my dad. You know, I, you know. Did you ever do this when you, when you were like a young kid and you'd push the trolley 
and your parent, your your dad would be all right. You push the trolley, and I'll I'll walk ahead. And there were so many times where I'd push the trolley and I wasn't paying attention because I was daydreaming or looking at the Dunkaroos callback. Um, <laughs> and I would, I would like not ram, but like my dad would have stopped and I will hit the back of his leg with the trolley. Oh, he went fucking nuts. But I learned, <laughs> I learned that my actions in society yeah. have consequences yeah. and affect other people. Yeah. Yeah, important things to know. Mm-hmm. Good tangent. Good tangent. Uh, I also have some follow-up from last week. I watched the Hassan Minaj video after we oh. discussed last week the New Yorker article. And I thought, as you you said, um, he did a very compelling job of explaining why this article was, was very slanted. I, I came away from it uh, rather on his side about the whole affair. So... Um, yeah yeah same i don't have a great deal more to to add to it because we we did discuss it in depth last week but it seemed like a bit of a a hit job that piece and and certainly one that misrepresented a bunch of things yeah and in terms of like defense videos i mean that's got to be you know pr firms around the world are going to be taking note of that i mean like you said you you can just kind of let it blow over and stuff, or you can do what he did and kind of defend yourself. I guess it makes it easier when you've got like evidence. Exactly. But, you know, and I think if you can present it in a way like that is concise and clear and also acknowledging where he did embellish and where there was truth in the article. Yeah. uh, I mean, you're only going to come off better for it, I think. I think it is still, though, a factor of his style and personality, though, because he has built an a an audience or a a style of his own which allows for deep dive and like fact presentation stuff i don't know that like i mean i was about to give an example of like um (laughs) tignataro doing a a a 20 minute like slideshow thing but then my brain was like well i would still watch tignataro do do a a Mm. presentation like that but my point being that like he sort of has a built-in um credibility when it comes to that form factor which perhaps not everyone would suit doing a long yeah. deep dive video on but yeah i thought after the fact my um my opinion on the situation did evolve so worth mm. acknowledging yeah he needs to i think just as a as a visual thing he just needs to stop using his hands he just he gesticulates too much it's just, it's, it's off-putting it's strange he's like a praying <laughs> mantis Okay, so just a, a little note there for you, Hassan. Um, something to take away. <laughs> something to think about. Yeah. Hey, um, I, listen, I, how do you feel about uh, a little bit of germy talk? Germy talk. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I, I um, read an uh, interesting book recently um, that my dad actually gave me called Pathogenesis. Pathogenesis oh. by uh, Jonathan Kennedy, subtitled How it's a Germs... a good name for an album. It is actually a very appealing name in multiple ways. Uh, subtitle is How Germs Made History. Uh, so the premise of this book is looking back through the evolution of humanity, both biologically and in terms of society and culture and history, and viewing it not through a lens of human choices or... Um, evolutionary factors like Darwinism, but instead by disease and illness and um, pathogens and pandemics and how that shaped what we know and understand of 
of history, which was a really interesting and unique um, sort of perspective on on the past, which I found really compelling. And so I just excerpted maybe four different interesting little takeaways or, or notes or stories, um, and I thought we could just go through them and, and chit-chat about them and, and, I don't know, see, see what you think of some of this stuff, because I found it fascinating. All right. So... As I said, the, the book's name is Pathogenesis. I enjoyed it. It's good and sort of breezy read if you like a little bit of a scientific history book. But um, a few sort of mind-blowing things here. So the first one that I want to start with here is the idea of the real biology of humanity being shaped by very early pathogens and viruses and bacteria. Um, so I'm just going to read an excerpt here and then, and then we can chit-chat about your reaction. Um, so talking about things called retroviruses, a retrovirus is a specific type of virus that reproduces by inserting a copy of its DNA into the genome of the host cell. But when a retrovirus infects a sperm or egg cell, something remarkable happens. Viral DNA is then passed on to every cell in every subsequent generation. An astonishing 8% of the human genome is made up of such genes. One remarkable example is a gene inherited from a retrovirus infection about 400 million years ago that plays a crucial role in memory formation. The gene does this by coding for tiny protein bubbles that help to move information between neurons in a manner that is similar to the way viruses spread their genetic information from one cell to another. In the laboratory, mice that have this gene removed are unable to form memories. So the idea that humanity can store and recall and form memories, that ability came from a viral infection 400 million years ago. If we didn't ha get so infected this, by that virus, we wouldn't have that ability. So this is a mutation. This is viral DNA that was infected into some primordial ancestor of ours that's been carried down through the genome ever since that infection for hundreds of millions of years. And that without a wow. viral infection, we wouldn't actually be able to store memories. But that means no, basically no living life would be able to store any memories, right? Correct. Not Correct. just humans. Correct. And that probably means that if that didn't happen, there might not even be any life because how can you live without memories? Well, not not like mammalian life, right, or like aquatic life or something like that. You you start to you're much more in a uh, area of like animalistic impulse stuff. Like we're talking about creatures or right. either like plants and things, which just respond from like chemical processes, basically, or things like right. viruses and bacteria, which which you don't think of as having like wants but they just like consume and then procreate and divide and that kind of stuff right but yeah mem but memory if formation not, if but even if it's just like a threat like a you know if you if there's a i don't know a, a deer um and it goes near a kind of a lake and there's alligators in the lake yeah and if it doesn't have the memory of oh there's there's things in the lake there. that yeah. can kill me yeah then it's like, well, I'll go have a lovely little drink by the lake. Yeah, 100%. No more deer. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, that uh, is one example of a retrovirus. Um, here's the other. This is the one that really blew my mind. 
Another mind-blowing example of a function that human ancestors acquired from retroviruses is the ability to give birth. When animals first evolved, they reproduced by laying eggs, and most creatures in the animal kingdom continue to give birth this way. Then, between 100 million and 200 million years ago, a shrew-like creature developed the capacity to gestate her young inside her own body, which is an extraordinary evolutionary advance because a fetus is much safer growing inside its mother's body. It is only possible because of the placenta, a temporary organ that attaches to the uterus and allows nutrients and oxygen to pass from mother to baby and carbon dioxide and waste to travel in the other direction without provoking a devastating response from the mother's immune system. There is nothing like this interface between the placenta and womb anywhere else in our bodies. When geneticists look at the gene responsible for creating it, they realized it was almost identical to those used by retroviruses to produce the proteins that attach to cells they're infecting without triggering an immune response. The scientists concluded wow. that a crucial function of the placenta didn't emerge gradually a result of evolution by natural selection, but was suddenly acquired when a retrovirus inserted its DNA into our ancestors' genome. So if one of our distant ancestors hadn't been infected by this tiny virus hundreds of millions of years ago, humans would reproduce by laying eggs. That's insane. That's insanity. Uh, yeah, but I, we wouldn't mind blowing. But we wouldn't. There, but we wouldn't be here. Like if the if they were, if we were laying eggs, I just don't. Yeah, we wouldn't be here though, right? Like yeah, if, we're, we're, we're talking just, about a fundamental like branch in the you know the probability tree in the timeline. Like if it didn't happen, I don't think any of it happens. You know, <laughs> that's. That is that is wild. That's super interesting. Yeah, it, we. I mean, we reflect on this a lot, but it is it is just so crazy to think that there are so many like these things that I didn't even know. Obviously, like often we focus on like you know if our if our earth if the earth had you know this much more oxygen yeah. you know or this much more gravity or this further away from the sun then we wouldn't be here. But then it's not only that. It's like if if our ancient ancient ancestors didn't have this virus that developed a gene we also yeah. wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be talking about this like it is and yet we still just think life is just how it should be yeah we're like yeah it's well this all is random life. it's all chance it's all you know like there's so so many infinite factors that had to work out in this exact way for it to be the way that it is but <laughs> as you and, say and, you, you go and, through life not thinking about it and not only just like being alive or being able to, you know, talk to you via Skype. Yeah. You know, it's it's like maybe there was one thing in the in the atmosphere that altered the way we look. And maybe we have, you know, giant balloon heads and tiny little bodies or something, you know, but we're still talking over Skype like we are now. <laughs> but then that's 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 the normal thing because that's how everyone looks. Yeah. You know, I always think like, you know, how we, we look at it like a, I don't know, what's a weird insect? I don't know, even like a cockroach. A cockroach goes about its life trying to find, you know, amongst other things, trying to find a mate at some point. So in, in cockroach life, there are attractive cockroaches and we just... <laughs> We we look at cockroaches just as just disgusting, but if you are a cockroach, there are certain cockroaches that have a certain genetic makeup that are appealing to you, and 
some of the cockroaches going, she's pretty hot, eh? She's <laughs> pretty, pretty sexy yeah. mama over there. Yeah. I mean, same with, like, birds, right? Like, how many birds do those fucking, like, mating dances yeah. or whatever? And, like, you're, you're looking at it and the birds and they're, like, they're doing their little shuffle. And, like, for some, like, other bird there, they're, like, hmm, that's not up to scratch. I'm not interested. <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then they're looking at us, like, ugh. <laughs> like, what are these <laughs> yeah, what disgusting are those big, Where monkeys? are their feathers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where yeah. are all their feathers? They don't even dance. They don't even dance. I mean, I do dance sort of like an unsuccessful bird of, um, what do you call it? Yeah. Paradise. Bird of paradise. <laughs> um, so this book, uh, this book covers like ancient, like primordial plagues, Neolithic and like, uh, pa- sorry, Paleolithic and the Neolithic um, civilizations all the way up through like, Roman Empire, ancient plagues, through the Dark Ages, um, all the way up to the present day. So it's quite a sweeping look at the impacts of all of this stuff across time. Um, so I won't delve into all of it, but I do have a few more um, sort of stops along the way that I thought was quite interesting. Um, yeah. One of them was Roman Empire. So we're fulfilling the the cliche of how many times a day do you think about the Roman Empire, that, um, that viral trend <laughs> um, in more ways than one. But... Uh, talking about how the fall of so many of those ancient civilizations was in no small part due to pathogens and um, immunity. The idea of uh, you having grown up in a place and if you've got to adulthood in the early you know, millennia of society, if you got to adulthood, you have immunity to whatever fucked up plague was mm. around at that moment, whether it's, you know, black plague or malaria or, you know, cholera or any of the these other sort of problems floating around. And that's why, like, so many kids died so young. Um, but if you mm. got to adulthood, you had some sort of built-in immunity. But it was it was localized to that region. So, so much of the power dynamics of armies and of large scale early war was defined by traveling armies ending up in new locations where they didn't have any innate resistance to the pandemic or the, the, the flus or the viruses that were in that area and just dying like, you know, in their hundreds in their thousands um, because they don't have the herd immunity to the local mix of viruses and things Um, (laughs) which i thought was a very interesting way to 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 re-examine history but specifically things like the roman empire just to summarize sort of hear what i just said so a series of pandemics caused immense damage and played a crucial a crucial role in weakening the Roman Empire, not just in absolute terms, but also relative to the neighbouring barbarians. Um, this is because although the term barbarians problematic as it lumps together an incredibly diverse set of communities into one indistinguishable and supposedly inferior mass, all of these groups tended to have one thing in common. They lived in much less populated and less connected societies than the Romans. As a result, pandemics tended to cause far more devastation to the Romans than to barbarian societies. The differential impact of infectious diseases is a key factor in the political dynamics of the Roman Empire from the mid-2nd century until the fall of Constantinople to the Ottomans in 1453. 
barbarian armies took advantage of the opportunity afforded by epidemics, invading deep into the Roman territory, besieging Aquileia and almost reaching Athens. So a lot of these historical um, conflicts that we think of as a question of military might or of a question of like technological superiority can often be better explained by a biological weakness of the traveling armies to the places that they're going to. Wow. Isn't it crazy that these, like the Roman Empire and ancient Greece, they were like the kings of the world, and now they're just kind of small little places, you know. I just find it fascinating that they can go from like ruling the world to just like a little kind of old village kind of thing. Yeah. No, I mean, literally the hub of, of humanity has moved several times in you know the past 2000 years you have to wonder whether america and currently china and that kind of thing where we are in a thousand years time whether they're still seen as the the hub of it yeah you can't imagine and even like even in the middle east like iran was like the the birthplace of mathematics and and science it was like this (laughs) the world leading area of the world and in scientific uh you know discovery and revolution and and now they've kind of almost turned their back on that it seems like in in favor of religion well it's a very interesting thing that you teed me up for then because my next topic of discussion is christianity so here here's a little um here's a little morsel for you how do you explain the sudden transformation of christianity from a marginal jewish sect to a popular religion The American sociologist Rodney Stark argues that infectious diseases are a crucial part of the story. The Christian faith skyrocketed because it provided a more appealing and assuring guide to life and death than paganism during the devastating pandemics that struck the Roman Empire in the 2nd and 3rd centuries. In fact, he goes so far as to say that if it wasn't for the Antonine and Cyprianic plagues, Christianity might never have become so dominant a faith. So one major difference between the old and new faith was the issue of what happens when we die. Jesus promised everlasting life in paradise, whereas pagans believed in an unattractive existence in the underworld. Then there was a question of why pandemics occurred. The Greco-Roman gods were capricious, angry, indifferent to human suffering, and sometimes downright cruel. Remember, the Romans believed that Apollo conjured up a plague that killed 7 million people to punish the transgressions of a few light-fingered legionaries in the middle of the 2nd century. In this belief system, the best way to save oneself from Apollo's wrath was to try and deflect his anger by making a sacrifice or some other form of offering. In contrast, Jesus's message that hardship brought redemption was much more reassuring in the face of a recurring devastation of plagues. It offered hope and meaning by explicitly promising a better life in the next world for those who are suffering on earth. Christianity in this argument, would not have become successful if it wasn't for the context of the world in which it was suddenly skyrocketing in popularity, which was epidemics, plague, and death. That's fascinating. It's funny that, like, we're talking about things that people are are saying are are true, like this is the truth of the universe, but it seems that, like, okay, you can just make it more appealing and then that will become the true thing that everyone believes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it speaks, I think, to humanity's need for explanation, right? Or for, for storytelling mm. or for a place in the world, right? 
the willingness to believe in something that was easier or better because of the circumstances that we were in, right? We're leaving yes. behind old beliefs because I would prefer that this suffering wasn't meaningless or that there was good things to come. Very revealing as to this sort of fallibility of human existence, belief, life, you know, understanding. It's it's entirely revealing, and like even even you know in the Muslim in the Muslim world, like promise of seventy two virgins. Yeah, I mean, this, this, when you go to the afterlife, if you're a martyr, I mean, this just like it clearly shows where our heads were at at that time. Like the greatest thing that you can imagine for yourself in the afterlife is seventy seventy two young women who haven't had sex yet. Yeah, I mean, this is this is this is ancient yeah i mean we're seeing i don't we won't go into it but like i think like especially with things like jihadism coming up again now once again you know it's it does i think people don't or aren't willing to attribute the role that religion actually plays in our day-to-day life and in terms of conflict and 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 all those things i mean I mean, I won't go into it because I'll just start ranting. But it is—it is fascinating how it's so. It seems once you remove yourself from it, or create some distance from it, like I did, you can—you really can see it for. I don't know. I guess maybe I have my own bias as well, but you can—you kind of see it for what it is, and you see it as as a reflection of us. Of you know, like people say yeah. that we are—we are made in God's image, but God is made in our image. Yeah historically um yeah it's interesting as well it's fascinating you you think about that time like imagine 2000 years ago like I, i i won't go into it that much but there's plenty of discussion about the way that early cultures understood disease what they thought caused these things like yellow fever or you know that kind of stuff people didn't believe for instance that um it could be transmitted through water through uh, like fecal matter in the water and people were drinking water with shit in it and then getting infectious diseases and that was seen as ridiculous Mm -hmm. and similarly like attributing these things to gods and and to external things Mm -hmm. because we didn't have the understanding of the world that we now have today so when you think about the rise of things like christianity where your choice is either there's some unknowable god doing horrible things to me or i have a I, I can be optimistic. I can hope for something better. I can suffer through this knowing that happiness is coming at the end of it. It's it's actually makes me feel really empathetic towards that totally. evolution because you understand it. If that's the world you're living in where it's all completely above you, you have no hope of understanding anything, no. why wouldn't you pick the one that gives you something, right? Something to look yeah. forward to. It, 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 I find it yeah. quite touching in, in that context. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Like, it makes, it kind of, it makes sense. It makes sense. I was watching, a, a, you know, a, a sunset um, a, a week or so ago, and it was one of those sunsets where you can, you're looking over the ocean and you can literally see the sun dipping below the horizon. Yeah. And I was just thinking, like, if you are a medieval person or, you know, um, you know, someone who was born a thousand years ago didn't have understanding that this was the, you know, a, a giant 
spherical ball it's of a star, of right? In fire. millions of kilometers away, yeah, millions of millions of miles away. I would I would think that it is a god or something. It was yeah. like, okay, well, that's just the god. That has to be the god. When I go outside and I get sun on my skin, I feel better. You know, you, you would make all these you would make all these connections yeah. that w- would make perfect sense if you don't have the scientific understanding. Yeah. And even I always think about like um, the idea of the connection between sex and giving birth. Like, when did that understanding? Because that's quite a leap. You know, interesting. You can, yeah, you can be like, when I have sex. Uh, and then there's a child that comes. I'm not sure. It's kind of like a, a, a like a, a lot of cognitive processes need to happen for yeah. you to make a connection between. I had sex nine, nine months, months ago, ago and yeah. then as a child, like they, I'm assuming they're not related. You're just doing it because it's an impulse. You know, dogs when they have, you know, when they when they have sex, they're just doing it to fulfill, you know, some sort of primal urge that they yeah. have. They're not thinking, you know. Uh, I'm ready to have a child right now. I can have a litter. (laughs) They're just thinking, I'm just going to do this thing. And then the dogs, you know, the female dogs are walking around going, what the fuck is happening to me? Where did this come from? (laughs) Yeah. You know, but but people back then, I mean, I think there are. I think probably the first clue was when the the redheaded child popped out from the redheaded hookup. And then they're like, (laughs) oh, oh, okay. I do see it here (laughs) because I've got black hair. But you're, this was very much you, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think there was examples, there's been examples of like tribes in Africa that still believe that uh, pregnancy comes from females washing themselves in a certain uh, body of water. Oh. They think if they go into this body of water, they will get pregnant. Um, and they haven't had, you know, the, the understanding that it comes from, you know, intercourse. intercourse yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why fascinating. I just into course, then. Well, it's being more scientific, you see. I bought it. I bought it until you started doubting yourself. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I got one more. One more touch point here, um, which is going to be ill-served by a very brief summary um, in what is actually probably one of the longer chapters in the book. But I'll, I'll raise the point here and leave it for um, people to go and, and, and read because I do encourage it, um, people to check out this book. But this is the connection between slavery and epidemiology. So it, there's plenty of examples across the book talking about Africa, talking about Spanish invasion, talking about all these kind of things. But here, here's one example. So uh, when Columbus set foot uh, on Hispaniola, uh, he inadvertently found some of the most fertile land on the planet and a warm, humid climate that was perfect for growing sugarcane. His second voyage in 1493 brought sugarcane plants to the Caribbean. At first, the conquistadors tried to use Native Americans to work the land, but the indigenous population was devastated by old world pathogens. On Columbus's third voyage to the Caribbean in 1498, he advocated importing Africans who were already working in sugar plantations in Atlantic outposts like Madeira and the Canary Islands. Soon afterwards, the transatlantic slave trade began. Within 25 years, there were more enslaved Africans than indigenous people in Hispaniola. By the middle of the 16th century, the indigenous population had totally disappeared. As West Africa was connected to Europe and Asia by overland and sea routes, the local population had been exposed to old world pathogens and fared much better. So 
the early conquistadors' decision to use enslaved Africans on their sugar plantations had unexpected but momentous consequences. It inadvertently set the whole of the American tropics on an inescapable path towards racialized slavery because the nascent transatlantic slave trade carried not only people, but also some of the mosquitoes and microbes that made West Africa a deadly place for Europeans. So basically, the uh, arrival of West African pathogens turned the Caribbean into a white man's grave. Yellow fever epidemics rather than malaria were the major killer of Europeans, but the basic outcome was the same. Almost everyone who had grown up in West Africa would have been exposed to these diseases and acquired lifelong immunity, whereas new settlers from Europe hadn't developed any tolerance and died in droves. As a result, African labor became the economically rational option for plantation owners. Wow. There is so much more in this chapter and in this book about this, but the idea that if you're thinking in in completely immoral financial terms, the decision was, do we import Europeans to come and work on our, our plantations or can we find another workforce? And Europeans would come and just die because they couldn't survive with the local pathogens and West Africans could. And as a result, Mm. slave trade. Again, it just completely recontextualizes so much about the way you think about history. Um, I don't know if you have much more to say on that. I think I can leave it there. But it is a great book, Pathogenesis. I do recommend it if this has piqued your interest. It's, It's really fascinating. Yeah. Well, actually, I just saw that um, Spotify has audiobooks now. I don't know if you've seen this, and they've got, mm. like, everything. And so I might just uh, add this to my audiobook list. Yeah, see if, you can, see if you can give it a listen. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. It's really, yeah, it, it covers a lot of stuff that I think will be of interest to you. Um, yeah, hell yeah. Well, if you've enjoyed this kind of discussion, that's very great to hear. And possibly you'd also find enjoyment from previous episodes we've made. You can find plenty in our feed. You can go back and pick one at random. I promise it's going to be good, maybe. There's also ways you can keep in touch with us. If you have thoughts about what we've talked about or suggestions for what we should talk about, please send us an email to deepthought.gmail.com. Flick us a message on your social media platform of choice. We're on Facebook. We're on Insta. Jump onto the old Spotify if you want to listen to us there. Rate us five stars or some of our Christmas songs will be there. So go have a listen. It's that time of year. Um, And otherwise, just try and live a good life. Wash yourself with soap and don't drink water full of shit. Good advice. Hey, Michael, how about a little bit of a wreck engine? Mm, Yeah. I've got the keys. Welcome to Deep Thought's Recommendation Engine. Nice. Been a little while since a wreck engine. Got a, got a couple of a long while. Got a couple sitting here. But why don't you start things off, Mike? Yeah, I got I got um, some from a while back here. Um, this is one I'm maybe you've watched, but did you see the Smartless on the Road doc? No, I didn't. I didn't. I heard of it. I think it's um it's the Smartless pod guys, Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, and Sean Hayes. They have a podcast. It's pro- pretty big, um, but they they've done like a six part, basically tour diary kind yeah. of thing. Now I find the I can find these guys kind of annoying. Like their their banter, I like to a limit, and then I don't. 
But this was, it, well, first of all, this was shot in black and white for seemingly no reason. Really? The whole thing? That, the whole thing's in black and white. Don't know I, why. I feel like I saw the trailer and I thought that was like a trailer choice, but the whole show, wow. Whole show. Whole show. I just, okay. It does Whatever. say a lot sort of about the podcast, doesn't it? Does. It? <laughs> it does. It does. They, I mean, anytime, you know, I can I can get on board with a black and white film. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it, if it's like kind of serves the film, mm-hmm. I, I kind of think it's probably going to be better in color. But mm-hmm. you're you know you're in charge. Do whatever you want for a for a fucking comedy uh, tour podcast yeah. tour diary. Yeah. Okay, fine. But I got to say, I loved this a lot. I think it. They kind of uh, they kind of let you in to a point which I didn't expect. They get they get deep. They have some very real conversations. They get kind of emotional. They also have like just behind behind the scenes, they're they're joshing around, and I think it's 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 good quality bants. Yeah, it's uh they they have a they have a great rapport. I don't know. I have I think that Sean Hayes doesn't quite belong <laughs> or can't really kind of keep up. But he actually <laughs> he actually brings a lot of sweetness to. The the trio, Dynamic, yeah. Um, I think I you do need sort of a, an outsider voice sometimes. It's a bit that way in the pod as well, where you know that Arnett and Bateman have like thirty years of or twenty years plus of of yeah. camaraderie. Um, he's kind of he's kind of the punching bag, Sean Hayes, but he's also he offers he offers yeah, like I said, like a bit a bit of sweetness. Yeah, different to, perspective to them all, and it was just cool. I I really like you know I. I really like seeing the the goings ons and the and the kind of intricate uh, practical details of things like you know when a band goes on tour or you know what happens in the green room. Like I'm yeah. more interested in that in some ways than the actual thing that they're putting out. Mm. Um, and I think this was you know it's it's got kind of snippets of their live shows with Will Ferrell and. Um, I think there's Bradley Cooper or whatever, but I don't know. I, it's just kind of cool to see like a little bit of the podcast and then what's going on behind the scenes. So I won't mm. say too much about it, but I would check it out. Where, Smartless on the road. Do you say it's a six part series? I think it's a six part or five. How long? Part. How long is each part? Uh, maybe forty to fifty minutes. Wow. Okay. Jeez. Yeah. Quite so hefty. It's good then. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Smartless on the road. Um. I can't remember if I said on pod previously uh, or if it was just to you directly, but I watched Michelle Wolf's most recent Netflix uh, mm. specials um, and they are very, di- I watched all three of them back to back. They're like 20 minutes each. Um, really enjoyable, sharp, fa- fast comedy. Um, forgive me if I did say it previously, so maybe I won't dwell on it too much. You haven't checked it out yet? No. There's a couple of great jokes in there that I think you'll really like, um, but I won't I won't spoil them. What I will talk about is uh, Pete Holmes' special, I Am Not For Everyone. Have oh. you watched I Am Not For Everyone? I watched it pretty recently, actually. Yeah. Um, I, well, I think it only came out like a week ago. Um, I really mm. enjoyed that. I thought that had some really Did you? Fun, fun bits in it. I think his sort of ending run there where he talks about religion and that kind of stuff was really kind of interesting and um I, I thought it was a good mix of sort of the truth that you get from his podcast vibe, but with like good stand-up premises and jokes as well. And, and he's clearly having a ball. I, I really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, he's he's one of these guys that I've just been a huge fan of for ages now because of the pod and because of his show Crashing. Mm. But then I realized I hadn't actually seen any of his stand-up. I'd seen like snippets on TikTok, uh, Instagram, whatever. Yeah. And I, I liked it. I mean, I didn't find myself like laughing out loud as much, you know, as I have with other specials. But yeah. like I really enjoy his like his depth and how he will go. He thinks about things very deeply. He's a very thoughtful guy. Yeah. I like how he talks about, you know, religion and um, even the observational stuff about his family and stuff. And yeah, I mean, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't like bending over. It doesn't blow seat, you away. Like kind no. of rolling around. But um, like his podcast, I like, I just like the, what, what he talks about. Yeah. Um, and he's I, just a very likable guy. He's, he's he? a very nice guy. Yeah. I thought his, his sort of best premises towards the end there was talking about the comparison between atheism and religion, just to circle back to where we were earlier and saying how in religious terms, you know, you believe that you come from God and, and you come from nothing and then return to your maker afterwards. And if you're an atheist, you believe you came from nothing and return to nothing afterwards, which is the exact same fucking yeah, thing. Same, yeah. <laughs> That's a great observation. Yeah. That is really a, clever, funny, uh, good quality material I, I i had a good time with it no i love i love old Holmesy. um how, how just, much of a I'll temptation just... do you think there was if you're pete holmes's parents to name your kid sherlock like it's gotta come up it's gotta if your surname's holmes you know there's a it needs to at least be a conversation <laughs> uh yeah i don't know yeah maybe just sorry Putting it out there. Yeah. If you hate your kid, maybe. <laughs> imagine. Imagine a Sherlock these days. <laughs> yeah. Sherlock. You can't even you can't even abbreviate it. You, you can. If you'd it. played my video games, Shirley. you'd know that they Sherry. They go with Sherry in the video game. Sherry. Sherry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sherry. Yeah. Not great for a man. Um <laughs> I'll I'll throw in a uh, a special as well. Um one of my favorite comedians, Joe List. He's got a special called "This is a few uh, called Enough for Everybody." He's got it up on YouTube. Um, he's just a, he's a kind of just a classic classic comedian. Tells a lot of stories. has a has some great observations. Um, he is also the co-host of my favorite podcast, Tuesdays with Stories. But I just think he's he doesn't get enough credit, uh, and he's just a very funny dude joe list i don't know that i would recognize him in the lineup i don't think i've ever really encountered him so i'll have to have a look no he's he's one of those great comedians that he just he can't brand he can't market himself on social media and he doesn't have a show and he's kind of he's kind of in no man's land in terms of comedy but he's just incredibly funny okay i'll have to have a look um it's been very comedy uh focused but i'm gonna hard pivot here because I have been listening a lot to Sufjan's new album, Javelin. Boy, I love that. Boy, I love that album. I mean, mm. I mean, I was in the bag anyway. But I, the, the last one that he put out in 2020, The Ascension, I was a little bit lukewarm on. It didn't, it didn't really stick with me. Um, but this is a real return to form. Uh, and the context in which it was released was also very notable um, because, sadly, he both has a debilitating nerve um, <laughs> disease called Guillain-Barre syndrome in which he lost the ability to walk and has been in a wheelchair and recovering for several months, so unable to promote the album that he just put out. 
And uh, in addition, uh, six months ago, his longtime partner died um, very young. Mm. And that was the first time that he'd publicly come out because he shared a photo and it was of a guy that he had been in a relationship with. Uh, After years of speculation, publicly came out by announcing his partner's death, which is crushing. And this is an album about uh, that process. And it's heartbreaking and beautiful and sweet and everything that I was hoping for. Yeah, he's kind of returning to his uh, Carrie and Lowell sound, you know, slightly after yeah. the Ascension deviation. I really liked the Ascension, though. I like the I Ascension's vibes, but it, it didn't, I don't know, it was a little bit overstuffed for me. I described the Ascension when it first came out, and this might be a a, a byproduct of, of being stuck in lockdown and just wanting to hang my hat on to anything. Yeah. Um, but I, I described the Ascension as um, Sufyan's, in rainbows and i remember i remember when i started saying that people were going no it's 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 not that good it's not that good and i think in time it's probably it's probably a bit ambitious to call it his in rainbows but I, yeah, it's got it's got sugar it's got video sugar game. is amazing I mean, video games. yeah oh there's they bangers in there yeah. great pop songs bangers yeah. Uh, but yeah no i do love i do love this one as well um, make me an offer you cannot refuse. Great way to start the album. Oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. Towards the end, uh, loses it a little bit for me. But anyway, the one that actually has been sticking with me in terms of an analog here is is the All Delighted People EP, which I don't know if you heard, but back in 2012 when he put out Age of Odds, which I would point to as the In Rombo's equivalent, where he came out of nowhere with a, a real... Um, zag, I suppose, um, away from his old sound and, and did something new. Um, the week before that came out, he released an EP of older style songs that didn't fit the new vibe. And that has a lot of familiarity or a lot of echoes, I think, in the in Javelin, um, which has a lot of the sort of, um, you know, finger-plucked banjo aesthetic as well as some of the newer vibes. Um but I'm just I'm I'm it's on loop. It was always going to be on loop, but this time mm. I think it it really will stand up a little bit more strongly than than Ascension has for me. Great album. I need to uh, put it back in my rotation because I was hammering it when it first came out, and then it yeah. just kind of dropped off. Yeah. I got one more rec for please, you. Please, please, I'm 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 eager. And I'm gonna and this one's pretty e- easily digestible. Okay. Oh, you, you're cult. You- you're cult. <laughs> It's your cult. <laughs> your cult. Your cult is one of those things. You said that your cult you have, six times you, in the past ten seconds. You try your cult seven when you're a young kid, and you're like, "Oh, that's a weird, interesting flavor," and then it kind of grows on you as you grow up. And here in Asia, your cult is massive. I mean, it's a Japanese it's Japanese a of, brand. Would you say there's a bit of a cult around it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We can stop there. We've, we, we okay. gonna, we're not gonna. We're not gonna surpass <laughs> cult <yeah. laughs> Oh god! Uh, 